It's quite a U-turn from the government. Is the parliamentary conga about to reverse? I apologise to colleagues for the inconvenience, and I and I apologise to all those who are, and I apologise to all those who have particular difficulties with it because they are shielded or because they are elderly. And they should be able to vote by proxy. On Tuesday, the government scrapped remote voting for MPs who were shielding at home, and overnight, hundreds of thousands of people across the country lost their voice in Parliament. I don't think it helps democracy. I don't think it helps good governance. I don't think it helps accountability. And I think it's a bonkers move. Following hour-long queues for voting and an outcry from the backbenches, the government is now being forced to review the changes. In 10 years' time, remote voting will be embedded in Westminster either because we have to deal with another similar event such as this or because of a change of government. The world has changed because of coronavirus. Is it time Parliament did too? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, back to the Commons or no going back? Parliament's quite amazing place to work. I think if you've been there a while, you start maybe to get blasé about it. But whenever I used to take visitors in, it would always take me aback and you like, wow, this is a fantastic old building, you know, the most iconic building probably in the country. Esther Webber is the Red Box reporter for the Times Daily Politics email. It's a place of contrast because on the one hand, it's so grand and important and covered in gold edging and all statues of lions and unicorns and all of that. On the other hand, it's kind of crumbling and it's all a bit ramshackle. It's really hard to find your, your way around. The lifts don't work. It's a bit like a kind of very creaky, grand, old house. What's it been like covering politics during the pandemic? It's strange. It's been a learning curve. I think journalists are suffering from something that everyone across the country is suffering from in that it's much more difficult to have informal conversations about work. So you can't just drop by someone's desk and see what they think about a certain idea. It has to become a sort of prearranged phone call or a Zoom. And that very much applies to the way journalists are trying to gather their information even though we can still WhatsApp people we need to speak to. And for political journalists, that's mainly MPs. It doesn't have the same casual energy as when you're able to just bump into someone and catch them off guard. So that's definitely been an adjustment. When you actually bump into them physically, it's a lot more difficult for them to shrug off your questions. 
So there is that amazing atmosphere of um, all these people being crowded in together, well, as it was before, and a lot of opportunity for journalists to eavesdrop or worm their way into places, which we don't really have anymore. Now, this return to Parliament was put to a vote on Tuesday, and bizarrely, only people who were present were able to vote in the debate. So it already disenfranchised people who were still working from home. Talk me through the vote. Talk me through the process. On Tuesday, MPs had to approve the new system of voting. That is the requirement that MPs would need to be present in Westminster to vote. And it might sound totally bizarre, but in order to do this, they had to vote under the new system because the arrangements that they had set up to take part in remote voting had already lapsed and there was no other authority to reintroduce it. So the Speaker actually came up with this system of queuing at a distance and this was the system that was used on Tuesday So when the vote was called, MPs went out of the chamber and formed a long queue which stretched back all the way from the Commons chamber out through Westminster Hall, out towards the tube station and into Portcullis House which is on the other side of Westminster Bridge. So this is remote voting in the House of Commons. Um, There is a queue snaking all around the gardens here. And there is a queue snaking all the way around behind me. This is the queue of MPs. We are two buildings away from the actual Parliament chamber at the moment because of a voting procedure, of course, that the government are insisting that we continue. This is how we It was probably almost as long as the queues that we saw the other day when IKEA reopened. <laughs> Just just as eagerly anticipated. <laughs> Possibly not. <laughs> During lockdown, our ancient parliamentary system embraced modern technology, introducing Zoom debates and, crucially, giving MPs the ability to vote from home. But on Tuesday, that system was scrapped and only MPs who attend Parliament would now be allowed to vote. That left all the MPs who were still having to work from home unable to represent their constituents in Parliament. Is that really democratic? Following a cross-party outcry, the government is now being forced to reconsider their decision. They won't bring back voting from home, but if another lengthy vote passes today, they will give MPs over the age of 70 and those with medical conditions the right to vote by proxy. But that might not cover everyone. Many MPs are still disgruntled. I called one of them up. It's Margaret Hodge. Hello. Were you just trying to ring? Sorry, I had it on silent. Don't worry at all. Thanks so much for calling back. (laughs) How did you feel when you first heard that they were making these changes? I thought it was unbelievable. We were just getting used to the new system of remote voting. And I can't tell you 
what a joy that was because it was incredibly efficient. You could vote within two minutes. Normally going through the lobbies takes about 20 minutes. The fiasco of yesterday was 45 minutes to an hour. And the idea that MPs on sometimes you had to do four votes at a time should be spending four hours queuing to vote is just for the birds. What matters to my constituents and actually probably to you guys in the press or anybody is not how I voted, it's what I do. And that's what I have to be accountable for. And that's what I have to account both to my voters and to the wider public. And what I was worried about was the motivation behind all this, because you couldn't see why are they moving away from a common sense solution. And the only answer could be was that as we watched Prime Minister's questions for the few weeks that Boris did come back, you could see his lack of comfort at not having a crowd behind him. And I think this was driven by political motivations rather than the public good. Is there a chance where, you know, things are moving, we know that there is a bit of a U-turn in progress. Are there just vast swathes of the country who won't be represented in Parliament? because of this? I think there are all sorts of categories where there are still concerns. It's ones that are looking after family members. Remember that all schools are not back yet, and therefore there are people who have childcare responsibilities. And we heard yesterday, actually in the House, about the impossible journeys that people were making to get to the House because of the uh, cancellations of uh, flights and making Westminster less accessible. Does the public really want our MPs to be spending 16, 17, 18, 19 hours getting to Westminster rather than focusing both on serving their constituents and on the legislative programme in the House and on campaigning on the issues that matter to them to get changes that would improve the quality of life for their constituents and for the wider community? It's complete ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. There's nothing I'd like more than to get back and be able to share experiences and talk to my colleagues in Parliament. But we have to make sure it's safe. And ironically, I think we should be leading by example. And the example ought to be that we actually protect people and protect their safety. And that's not what the government is doing in this instance. If this U-turn does go through and you're offered, as somebody who's over 70, you're offered uh, the chance of proxy voting. Is that good enough? Um, it's better. But in a way, why doesn't the government just say, sorry, we got this wrong. and We'll go back to the remote voting. And it's not just for people like me who aren't able to go in. Everything we're doing is temporary. Everything we're doing is because of the pandemic. And we can go back to the traditional ways at the end of it, if that is what the majority of people want. But let's just use a bit of common sense during this pandemic. And I think it's not just for those of us that can't go, it's those that can go. The current system is just a ridiculous waste of time. It looked like a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan, actually, to be honest, to be looking at it. So I don't think it helps democracy. I don't think it helps good governance. I don't think it helps accountability. And I think it's a bonkers move. I think they should go back to where we were. As the government is forced into an awkward U-turn, you might be wondering, why were they so hell-bent on bringing MPs back to Westminster in the first place? I think this is really interesting and maybe seems hard to understand from the outside, but there are a few reasons. One thing that the government had stressed from the beginning is that they don't want 
to ask other people to do anything that they're not prepared to do themselves. So when they began to say that if you can't work from home, you should return to work. What we do in this house is important and that we do it at a reasonable and efficient pace matters and to do that we need to be here physically. Jacob Rees-Mogg was including MPs in that category and he said quite explicitly how can we ask parents to send their children back to school if we're not going in to work Um, and that's been his strong view. They also argue that legislation was being held up by the hybrid parliament because of the full scrutiny which wasn't able to take place and there is some debate over whether they actually stood in the way of that. And I think there's a third thing as well, which is obviously we know Jacob Rees-Mogg, the leader of the Commons, is a traditionalist, to put it mildly. And, <laughs> and I don't think he would be particularly keen on his legacy being the sort of digitisation of Parliament, if you like. And there is a sense that maybe it will happen sooner or later that MPs are allowed to vote remotely. But he doesn't want to be the one who makes that happen because of the intrinsic value he sees in people attending Westminster and debating each other and all the cut and thrust that goes with that. So I think it's also a personal thing for him. That's so interesting. How much of this does come down to the slightly unusual character of Jacob Rees-Mogg? I think you couldn't really have chosen a more kind of perfect juxtaposition between the leader of the Commons and the rush to digitisation that's going on at the moment. And I do think this probably would not have ever come about if it weren't for the pandemic. And it's only these most extreme circumstances which have led to this development of procedure, even if it's now been curtailed. The problem is, even though remote voting is now not possible, we know the technology is there in what might seem like a completely bizarre turn of events, but we know Parliament is nothing if not bizarre. The Lords are actually going to be able to vote remotely, even though MPs are not. So that system is... yeah you'll have this complete mismatch. And it will just highlight that the technology exists and will be there to be called upon. A, if, God forbid, the pandemic becomes worse again and we have to take more restrictive measures. Or if a future government or prime minister decides that is a technology that they want to offer... Apart from adding to the sheer eccentricity of our parliamentary system, there is a very serious issue at stake here, which is that for all of those MPs who now won't be able to vote because they can't come to Parliament in person, 
that's a constituency. That's a portion of the population they represent who aren't really being represented anymore. And that's what led, you know, at 31 Tory MPs to rebel on this issue. And those rebels included some quite kind of traditionalist people like the former minister under Thatcher, John Redwood. And I think that's because of this representation disenfranchisement question. We know that in any other workplace it could even be considered discriminatory yeah. because it would be seen as not making reasonable adjustments for someone's disability or health condition or other personal protected characteristic. But when I was researching this story, I realised oh, that MPs are actually covered by disability discrimination laws, which might seem totally crazy, but it's true. <laughs> and therefore they don't seem to have any recourse to action, although some lawyers are thinking about challenging that. And is this sort of a unique moment in Parliament's history? How does it compare to what it's had to put up with in the past? This is definitely a unique moment in Parliament's history. When I was researching this story, I read about the history of the division lobby system uh, which is this practice you're used to seeing on TV of when the speaker says eyes to the right, nose to the left, and then the MPs head off in two different directions to to register their votes. This has been around for I think six hundred years, some form of MPs dividing in this way. Yeah, this is definitely a historic break with that tradition and the government has obviously tried to rescue some of it with this queuing system. You can't put the genie back in the box altogether and now that the technology is there it it will be revisited at some point. And the other thing which has definitely marked a historic moment. It's just the fact of Parliament not being able to sit as it did before. That's a very unusual circumstance and has happened when it's been affected by fire or by bombing during the Second World War. And that's it, really. The message from and for Parliament is always meant to be The show must go on. And the show is going on. It's definitely a different type to what we saw before. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Jacob Rees-Mogg 
aside, if you were to make a prediction about what Parliament will look like in 10 years' time, how different do you think it'll be? Gosh, I think I'm going to be an optimist and I'm going to say in 10 years' time, remote voting will be embedded in Westminster, either because we have to deal with another similar event such as this, or because of a change of government. I'm going to nail my colours to the mast and say <laughs> this is the beginning of a journey for remote voting and, and it will become the norm. Tell me about the MPs who won't be able to vote now. Do we know roughly how many of them it'll affect and, and what sort of reasons are you hearing for, for why they won't be able to make it to Parliament? So we've got a, a rough idea of the way things might work out from the votes that took place because we could see the total number of MPs who took part in the voting protest in person was about 180 fewer than the number who had been taking part in the electronic system of voting, which was developed as an emergency measure during the pandemic. So that suggests there are around 150 to 200 MPs who would have taken part otherwise but didn't take part. And, I mean, that's quite a lot, and people are already saying that raises questions of legitimacy. But, of course, what we don't know is how many of those people were staying away for medical reasons or because they felt uncomfortable making the journey and about whether they could do that safely, or because of people in their family who they might not want to expose to infection. Those are all factors which could play into that number. We've also heard from MPs such as Jamie Stone, who's a Lib Dem MP up in the Highlands, and he has a disabled wife who he's been caring for and he says this is putting both her and his rural community at risk. It's a rubbish decision, but it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't get me out of my predicament at all. I'm faced with the devil's choice. Do I stay and look after my wife or do I head down to Westminster, try to work down there, but then desert my wife and run the risk of bringing the virus back to the Highlands. So those are just two examples of the kind of factors which are playing into the lower numbers of people voting. For MPs commuting from all across the country, decisions will be particularly hard. What was interesting was we also had complaints from members of the DUP. It's important that we are here to participate and actively vote when we can, but we also need to be able to know in advance that we can do that so we can get a plane. For instance, the only plane over here for us yesterday was early in the morning to get here for today. Who traditionally have been more likely to vote with the government on certain issues because they obviously are going to have to take flights over from Northern Ireland in order to attend. And there's a question mark over whether MPs should be 
then travelling back to their constituencies or should they be staying in Westminster? And if they stay in Westminster, then how can they say they're properly remaining in touch with their constituents? I think it will be interesting to see how the public interact with the new shape of Parliament and with some MPs not being able to attend because in the past MPs have been criticised for being absent for certain votes and I think there is some worry that MPs could end up having to reveal some of their personal circumstances which they wouldn't necessarily otherwise do because of this scrutiny that there is going to be on what people's reasons are for not attending. So I think that could be a potential flashpoint further down the line. I mean, there is also the issue at a time of a global pandemic, a lot of people in this country will feel disenfranchised because their local MP isn't able to vote. I think... We'll have to see if there is a public backlash against some MPs that staying away. I think the government banked on there being huge support for MPs going back because of this idea that MPs should go back if other key workers are. But I think actually the public have generally seen that it makes them look disorganised and out of date. So I'm not sure they necessarily have their finger on the pulse there in the way they thought. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Times Red Box reporter Esther Weber. You can read more of Esther's work at thetimes.co.uk in print, or by subscribing to the Red Box email. The producers were Edward Drummond and Poppy Damon. The executive producer is Leo Hornack. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. You can subscribe for free. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. In these uncertain times, you can keep up to date and well-informed on coronavirus and so much more every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. See you tomorrow.